tweet at TodaySOR. Commissioner Hogan, good morning to you. Good morning, Sean. And thank you for joining us. Was the Taoiseach stating the obvious when he told the Dáil yesterday that the initial European response to the uh, coronavirus has been, was poor and, and lacking uh, cooperation at a time when solidarity was needed? What we saw was a case of some kind of, well, every country for itself. He was dead right and uh, 100% right in this because the response initially was to become pro- protectionist and, uh, you know, close down their borders and hold every. Uh, all the production of PPE for our, head, our hard-working frontline staff, all of these issues were very important and very difficult in February and early March. And that's why the, you know, while the competence of the European Union and health is vested in the member states, uh, the Commission uh, certainly uh, tried to play a role in coordinating and harmonising what the member states were doing. And eventually that got up and running more seriously from mid-March onwards. Yes, and a bad example, you might say, putting it mildly, from some of the bigger countries like Germany and France, um, at a time, say, when Italy could have done with a, a bit more help than it got, whether it was uh, ventilators or PPE and so forth. No, I agree. It didn't send a good signal in, in terms of solidarity and unity in the European Union. And the Commission brought forward a proposal on what they call an export authorization measure, which was a companies would have to notify the member states in relation to where, what production of products were happening and where they were actually going. Uh, and uh, that helped us to develop uh, a better picture in terms of the demand and supply in relation to the essential medical supplies and medical products. And uh, we've set up a dedicated stockpile of, of, of materials as well where we can channel those to places in greatest need, like Italy. Yes. Uh, so do you think at this stage, after maybe a slow and incoherent start, that Europe is responding better to the catastrophic uh, uh, results from the, the, the pandemic? Well, no one was properly prepared for this pandemic, uh, you know, and even the Chinese weren't, uh, I think, uh, ready for it either when it happened in their country. Uh, but all industries really have been mobilised in terms of production. And it's worth noting that about, uh, you know, in, mid- in mid-March, there was about 10 companies in Europe producing masks, there's, uh, and uh, now there's 500. Uh, we'll now have 100% self-sufficiency in relation to masks and other products like that within the next couple of months. So major progress has been made and there's been a good response from industry and this has been coordinated by my colleague Commissioner Breton. Right. We had uh, the Governor of the Central Bank on about an hour ago, Governor McClough, and he was saying, we were talking about the uh, Commission's projection of something like an 8% fall in, uh, in growth in the, in, for this year. And he was saying, well, you know, against the backdrop of a prediction or a projection by his predecessor, who's now Chief Economist at the European Central Bank, Philip Lane, that we really ought to be preparing for perhaps a, a fall of 12%. Yeah, well, it's not good news, no matter what the figures are. And um, what we have to do is see how we can use trade and our free trade agreements uh, in order to open up economies and make sure that the global supply chains and the connectivity that we have around the world can, is actually, you know, continuing. And there's going to be uh, disruption. There's going to be breakages in those chains of supply. And uh, we have our job, I suppose, in the European Union is to try and get those restrictions lifted, remove the barriers and get back uh, as quickly as we can to what was the situation 10 weeks ago. Yes, and all uh, uh, this against the backdrop of, I, I don't know if the word stalled would apply, but they're certainly moving, if moving is the word, at a at glacial pace, the, the talks with the, with, the, with the United Kingdom. What's your current assessment? Well, I suppose despite the urgency and the enormity of the negotiating channel, I'm afraid we're only making very slow progress in the Brexit negotiations. There's no real sign that our British friends are approaching the negotiations with a plan to succeed. And I hope I'm wrong, but I don't, I don't think so. 
and uh, we're going to have another uh, negotiation round next week. And if we don't see a step a step change in those negotiations, we'll see that the combination of COVID and Brexit will be an almighty blow to the UK economy later this year. And unfortunately, it spills over to other countries as well, like Ireland. And as we had heard from the Tarnished and Foreign Affairs Minister Simon Coveney talking to him here a couple of days ago, uh, progress has not been good. You you are echoing that yourself um, now. Uh, what Simon Coveney said also is the UK seems to want to pick the areas where they want to deal early and solely focus on those while the EU has made clear that that's not an approach they can work with. Is that your view? Yes, uh, I'm involved in the negotiations with Michelle Barnier and I can confirm that that is the position. Um, Certainly we see in parallel to the negotiations on the political declaration and on the trade aspects that we want to see the implementation of the withdrawal agreement as well. Uh, because the Irish Protocol was painstaking negotiations, as you know. Uh, it was difficult to get it approved in the House of Commons. And we, do, we don't want to see any dragging of feet in relation to the implementation of Phase 1 and the withdrawal agreement either. Yeah, now, Michael Gove, the UK Cabinet Office Minister, has been maybe a little bit upbeat, I don't know whether that's justified or otherwise, uh, looking at this deadlock, hinting that London may, may drop its demand for a zero-tariff, zero-quota deal, also saying, again, there would be no extension to the Brexit transition period. Well, the, the, the Prime Minister has said this on several occasions, there will be no extension to the transition period, and we take him at his word, and we're operating on the basis that there will not be an extension of time after the 1st of uh, January. And uh, we're doing the, the, what we can on the European side to get as much as we can done in the 11 uh, chapters that have been outlined in the negotiations, and we need to get approval of these and agreement on these by the end of October to allow time for ratification both in the House of Commons and in the European Parliament and the Member States. Yeah, he used slightly more colourful language at one stage uh, where he suggested on Tuesday that Britain might accept tariffs as part of a trade agreement as he put it to show some leg to Brussels. I don't know what he meant by that, but anyway, I think he should maybe outline in more greater detail next week what they intend to do in relation to moving these negotiations forward. Uh, We didn't see much leg at this stage from the United Kingdom. Yeah, and, and as well as that, we know that uh, Michel Barnier, who's leading the negotiations, um, is accusing Britain of pressing ahead with those talks in areas like transport and services while refusing to negotiate on fisheries um, and the level playing field guarantees and tax, state aid, labour rights uh, and, and so forth like the environment. But, you know, I suppose the British could be justified in thinking, look, the EU is demanding continued access to UK waters on existing conditions as the price for a trade agreement. Like, how reasonable is that? Well, all I'd say, Sean, is that we're serious about a deal on the European Union side. We want stability and predictability for all of our member states and our businesses. And I think we want, that would be very important for the UK as well. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to get involved now today in the detail of the negotiations. But if we want to have agreement with these big issues, big ticket items like fisheries, like the level playing field, like governance and how we're going to implement all of these agreements will have to be on the table very shortly. And yeah. I think the end of June is going to be a very important time timing this high-level meeting that's going to take place between the British Prime Minister and the President of the Commission. Yeah, and like there seems to be some suggestion that you know they, they should go over the heads of the Commission, they should go over the heads of, of uh, people like Michel Barnier um, and do a deal directly, say, with uh, Chancellor Merkel and, and President Macron and other European leaders. Well, they've been doing that for the last four years since the referendum to go over the heads of the European Commission and go over the heads of everybody else that they could in order to reach out to member states. They have had a major diplomatic initiative uh, along these lines for the last three or four years and they failed miserably. 
when it came to the outcome of the negotiations. So if they're trying this tactic again, it won't work because there will be solidarity and unity in the EU27. And even as recently as this week, Commissioner uh, Mr. Barney has had a, a meeting with the ambassadors of all of those countries and there is very solid unity in the EU27. So no change there. Um, there's no change in the Cavan team, as they say, Sean. There's no what? No change in the Cavan team. <laughs> <laughs> Be nice to think they get a chance to uh, make an appearance in Breffney Park or somewhere <laughs> or somewhere else. I didn't know you were so well versed in, uh, in like Cavan football matters. But look, mm. coming back to the the items in the mix, uh, again reporting today, the Financial Times suggests that Britain is resisting European moves to incorporate guarantees on respecting international climate change commitment in, in the future trade deal. Just adding another element into the deadlock. Yes, like the political declaration that was agreed painstakingly over a period of three years, sets out the agenda for the talks. Now, there has been some efforts by the United Kingdom to roll back on some of those commitments because they are political commitments rather than legal commitments. But there's been efforts to roll back on legal commitments as well. So we have, at all times, played a fair game, uh, and we're very fair with our, with, our, with our British friends, to implement what they have already agreed to, uh, in, the, in the two parts of the negotiations. And uh, if we do that, there will be no difficulty about reaching agreement on many of the chapters, but it, the time is fairly short. We need to get on with it because, uh, you know, October won't be long coming. Or, or June, as you say. But would you not have expected or would you have expected that the COVID uh, crisis on top of everything else would have perhaps concentrated minds and brought about a trade agreement uh, and the transition agreement maybe more readily? But the opposite seems to be the case. Well, I think that the United Kingdom p- political process and the, the politicians in the government have certainly decided that COVID is going to be blamed for all of the fallout from Brexit. And they're effectively putting the two items together, COVID and Brexit, into one big economic problem and financial problem for the United Kingdom. And they don't want to, my perception of it is that they don't want to drag this out in 2021, the Brexit negotiations, because they can, I suppose, ineffectively what political process we're trying to do is blame COVID for everything. Yeah, but I suppose we've seen breakthroughs in the past. Uh, one of them, uh, when uh, the Taoiseach and Boris Johnson went for a walk there in the world uh, in, in the autumn now, is there a possibility that there could be some fairly quick uh, mercurial change in the approach of the British government to the trade talks, trade talks, such as we saw then, to get that deal over the line uh, in the latter part of last year? Well, I hope that uh, we can see a step change next week in the negotiations. We have two rounds of negotiations between now and the end of June, and there's no reason why we can't make progress uh, you know, on, rather quickly on some of the issues. We shouldn't be semantic about some of the problems that we have to face. We should not adopt a divide-and-rule tactics because they've failed in the, fa- in the past and they'll fail again. I've never seen as much unity uh, you know, sustained over such a long period of time on one issue as the European Union is show- showing on Brexit. So I think any efforts in order to divide and conquer, and, as it were, in terms of the European uh, countries will not work. Right. Um, you've obviously a lot of experience in looking at negotiations uh, and they sometimes can take a long time, as we've seen now. We're in the longest period uh, post-election here. No doubt you're keeping a close eye on events back home. Um, what's your assessment? Well, I'm not keeping a close eye on events in Ireland, really, Sean, because I'm not party to the detail. This is a matter with the three party leaders now today who are going into uh, negotiations for the former government. I, I only know as much as I read in the papers or hear in the news. OK, well, I'm sure you'd wish them well, at least. 
Absolutely. Uh, we need a government, no doubt, and uh, it's a long time since the February election. So uh, we do need stability and we need a government that's be able to make the difficult decisions. It's going to be a difficult time for the next two or three years, whoever is in government. OK, Phil Hogan, my thanks to you. Uh, well, thanks Sean, before I go, maybe I, must, I think it's coming to the end of your term in office as well in RTE, uh, from what I hear. Well, and reason, <laughs> I want to thank you very much for your professionalism and fairness to me personally, uh, and uh, to wish you and, uh, and Caroline well and your family well. You're very kind. Thank you very much indeed. Phil Hogan, European Commissioner.